Well, sometimes during praise and worship, if you've ever spoken or if you've ever had the privilege of giving a message, you know that sometimes God messes with you during praise and worship. And uh, the the introduction to my message has been dramatically changed in the last few minutes. The first thought was, as we were singing those words to the Lord, I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'll surrender everything to have more of you. Now, there's a little bit of a theological problem I always have with that statement. We want, you know, Lord, give us more. Give us more. He's already there. He's already moved in. There's no more of him unless we give him more room. He just wants to manifest himself in greater and greater ways, reveal himself to us. It's about us making room for him, not for him trying to squeeze in there somewhere. So will we surrender? What will we do? Um, Back in about somewhere like 1992, how many of you were not even born in 1992? I just love doing that to myself. It's like self-inflicted pain. (laughs) Back in 1992, at one of our elders' meetings back then, I was asked if Cindy and I would consider changing our positions with the church. The church asked me, the elders asked me if I would consider becoming the pastor of the church. Now, I think they were just burnt out because we'd been without a pastor for two years. But I said, okay, we'll pray. Well, it was one of those times where we didn't have to pray long. We said no quickly. (laughs) We said no quickly. And then we did get a pastor. His name was Stan Potter. If you've been around a long time, you remember Stan. And he was here for about two years. And at that time, we thought we were hearing the Lord. And I believe it was the Lord's plan. But I think Cindy and I were being motivated, especially me, by a lot of wrong motives. Primarily one being fear. How many of you know that's not a good thing to give into when you're trying to make a big decision? But I think God knew what was going on, and and he knew where we were at. So we said no. And then another Sunday, and actually it happened before an elders meeting, uh, Pastor Stan uh, picked me up to come to an elders meeting, and he shared a vision with me that he had had that he said he wanted to share with the elders that night and tell them what was going to happen. I I said, no, you're not. We had a whole one-mile drive for me to say, no, you're not going to do that tonight. But he had had a vision up at the pastor's retreat where in that vision what he saw was a great big horn, only it was more like not a ram's horn. It was more like a Thanksgiving cornucopia. But he knew somehow in his mind in the vision that it was filled with oil. Now, in our old little church, we didn't have all these big side sections. We just had two little middle sections. And Cindy and I always sat over there, right where Don and Shirley are sitting. there in our spot. And he said, during my vision, this horn floated across the church and stopped over you and Cindy. And the Lord told me, I'm supposed to anoint you to be the next pastor of this church. And then he said, so we'll tell the elders that tonight. Now, he's much more of a man of faith, obviously, than I was, because I said, like, heck you will. You won't tell anybody that for a while. But anyway, to make the longer story short, 
uh, we, after a serious time of prayer and my wife really seeking the Lord, and the Lord really whipping up on her, I think, I think the Lord got my attention sooner than my wife's, or at least my agreement. And uh, Cindy agreed to that. And as we were singing that song, I'll sur- I surrender, I'll do whatever it takes just to, to be, have, have more of you in my life, to allow you to direct my life. It was, it was a wrestling match for us. You know, and here we are quite a few years later. I didn't even have gray hair then. Things changed. And the verses and the scriptures that I wanted to pre- preach on today or speak on were really, are really personal scriptures to me. There are some scriptures that I have gone back to, I couldn't even tell you how many times in my life since becoming the pastor, and even before, actually. And they're in the book of Philippians, and my introduction was to give you all this context. But basically, Paul's writing this letter to a church in Philippi, which was a church very dear to him because of the time he'd spent there. And he was in prison in Rome. And really, this, this, this whole book is really about the joy that we can have as Christians, the joy in the Lord, serving him, uh, being obedient with him. But all of those things that come out of one thing, developing a relationship with him, having a relationship with him. You know, one of the things Paul said in those first couple of chapters was, man, I'm not sure whether I think it'd be better to go home and be with the Lord than it would be to stay here. He was wrestling with that thought. And he was pretty well sure, I know it'll be better to go home to be with you, Lord. But for now, for what you have planned, it's better for me to be here. And then he talked about the Lord and the Lord's humility and how we should be like him. How he took the form of a man and came to earth. And we know the story. And he died for us. And then I get to, in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 10. And verses 10 through 14 are the ones that have been kind of my, I wouldn't call them life verses as much as maybe ministry verses for me. Um, Most of you that know my testimony know that I came out of all kinds of insecurities, fear of man, need of approval, need of affirmation, just scared of failure. Well... (laughs) Things just keep popping into my mind here. Scared of failure. How many of you remember my story about when I was trying to tell my dad I was going to become the pastor? Oh, man. Dad, I'm going to be the next pastor at Victory Church. I don't even think I got to say it. I think Mom had to finally say it for me. He's at the door going to walk in the house. He looks over at us goes, like, hell, you are. I'm getting towards the end. I can curse in church now. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's great. Mom's trying to <laughs> comfort me. And I'd say, Mom, I would have expected, well, I shouldn't say it. I didn't expect anything better than that, quite honestly. But you can imagine when you're insecure and you're scared and, and you know you're getting in way over your head, you have no idea what it's going to look like. You've been on the elder board for a number of years, and you were probably, as Pastor Ken used to call me, the thorn in his flesh. 
I wasn't the most cooperative elder, and Pastor Bob and a few others can probably relate to that. You know, but when you're scared and intimidated, you can easily have a critical spirit and be quick to judge. And they still ask me to be the elder or be the pastor. And these verses are verses that I've gone back to, like I said, so many times to encourage me. And I want to, I want to share them with all of us. So hopefully you'll be encouraged by the exhortation that the Apostle Paul has, really for each one of us, with the overriding thought is developing a relationship with the Lord. And one of the things we need to understand is growth in whatever area of our life, for it to take place, takes work. We are totally saved by grace through faith alone. Done. But Foster, grow in our relationship, we need to cooperate with the work of the Lord in our life. And when we sing those words, like I hope all of you were singing, so I can say this to everybody, did you mean it? I'll surrender everything. Whatever it takes, I'll surrender it. I'll give it up for you. To be closer to you. To know you better. So with that... Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Paul, amazing Paul, he's in a prison. All the things he's accomplished. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow, maybe, I can attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's heart cry, after all he had done for the kingdom of God, was, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in a personal way. I want to know Christ in a very practical way. So he's not some imaginary entity out there somewhere. He's my friend, my Lord, my Savior. I'm his son. I want to know him personally and practically. After all he's done, he was still crying that out from his heart. I want to know you. I want to know him better. I want to know him better. And then there comes that realization that the problem's never him. Amen? For me to know him better is going to take something on my part. And surrender is a good word in any area of our life. Then he says, I want to experience the power of the Lord, his freedom, the joy that comes living in the light of the resurrection. I want to know the power, the joy, the presence of God. Living in the light, living and knowing that the resurrection of Christ has taken place and that that is evidence that we too will one day be resurrected from the dead. That we can live in the light and having confidence that we know that those things are certain and they are true. And I want to have, and he says, he goes on and says, I want to fellowship in the sharing of his sufferings. I want to have the same attitude Jesus had when facing difficult times, hard times. He had a peace that was beyond this world. It was a supernatural peace. Paul says, that's what I want to have. And he's sitting in a Roman prison. I want to know him better. I want to know him better. I want to know and be able to 
embrace the suffering like Jesus did and with peace in our heart. And he says, I want to live like a person who has attained the resurrection of the dead, but I want to do it on this side of the grave. Amen. What does that even mean? We are dead to self. We have been crucified with Christ. This is what the word of God says. I'm no longer that Mike. I'm a new Mike. I'm a new creation in Christ. Oh, there's a lot of flaws that are still there. But the reality is in God's eyes and according to his word, and therefore it's true, we are new creatures in Christ. And I want to be able to embrace that before I'm in heaven. I want to experience the peace, the love, the joy, the hope, the power. I want those things on this side of the grave. And then it's even going to be better on the other side of the grave. But I want it now too. What prevents us? So many of us want to hang on to the flesh. We don't really want to nail it to the cross. There's that stuff in our life. Trust me, I, I, whether you know it or not, I know it was in mine and still in mine. There's still things that I need to nail to that cross that I can experience these things in a fuller way. But we like to hang on to it. We shy away from that fellowship of suffering. And when I talk about the fellowship of suffering, I mean, we're not going to experience anything like Christ experienced. Hopefully. But, you know, in our mind's eye, suffering is just giving up things that our flesh still likes. I don't want to quit doing that. I don't want to quit partying there. I don't want to quit going to that thing. I don't want to quit watching that stuff. I don't want to quit fellowshipping with those people. I don't want to do any of those things. So there really isn't total surrender. We don't want to embrace the suffering because we sometimes forget that that suffering is almost an illusion because with that surrender comes the joy and the hope and the peace that we can have in the Lord. So how do you do this? Well, Paul gives us some great guidelines in the next few verses, which are really primary verses from my life. Starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for that which is in Christ Jesus. There's at least five things and maybe more that I think he gives us here to encourage us. Things that I grabbed hold of. First thing is this. We need to realize that God has a goal for your life. We say that, and I don't think most of you believe it when you hear me or Bob or any of the other pastors or anybody. God has a goal for your life. He has a plan. He didn't haphazardly allow you to be born. He has a plan for your life, and we need to understand that. In verse 12b, it said, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Remember, you would have never accepted Jesus Christ as, as if he went to grab hold of you and his Holy Spirit wooed you and drew you to him. It was his idea. And finally, we cooperated and we said, okay, he laid hold of us. Not because you're just such a nice gal or a nice guy, because he had a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, and most of us are familiar with verse 28, especially it says, and we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him and who has been called according to his purpose. But verse 29, it says, for those who God foreknew and he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Why? That we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's his goal. That's his purpose. It's amazing what God wants to do in our life, and we act and live oblivious to it for so long. Why is it so important to be conformed into his image? You know, when we get saved, when the Lord saves us, we accept the gift of salvation. It's like we walk through the door. He doesn't just want us to walk through the door. Oh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We need to walk through the door. But he wants us more than to save us. He wants to totally transform us. He wants to change us into what? His image. And it takes surrender. It takes sacrifice. It takes some pain and suffering at times. But that's his goal. And with that, every step of the way comes more freedom, more joy, more peace, more hope. The enemy keeps telling us all the negative things that he can put in our head and we believe them and we miss out and we forget that the goal in our life is one that's been designed by God. When we start to walk into the fulfillment of his plan for our life, it is so much more fulfilling. There is so much more joy, contentment, and blessings in it. You know, Pastor Jim McCracken told me once, and I've shared this before, but he said, Mike, going into the ministry, you accept the call of God. He says, if you're truly called, it's going to be the best decision you ever made. If you're not truly called, it's going to be one of the worst decisions you'll ever make. And I can honestly tell you it's the best decision I ever made after accepting Christ and marrying that woman, best decision I ever made. Because there's joy and fulfillment. You feel the sense of God's blessings on your life in spite of you. But it takes making some choices. He's called every single one of us to something. Cindy and I were a little bit in shock that he was calling us to be a pastor of a church anywhere but in my hometown that's a bad joke lord oh man my bc days we cut a pretty broad swath didn't we robert (laughs) we did and it wasn't because we were righteous and holy to say the least in my hometown how could you believe something like that i don't know he had a plan there was a prophetic word or just a, it was, I don't even know what to call it. There was a little prophetess, Helen Valonis, in our church 
way back when. And I hadn't been saved that long. And she's walking by me. She's just a little gal. She was kind of strutting by me. And she just stopped and looked at me and says, whoever brought him into the boat doesn't know how big a fish they caught. That's a pretty big fish. (laughs) The test weight on that line. But I grabbed a hold of those kinds of little things. I didn't understand them. I didn't know what the heck it was all about. I mean, I was still trying to figure out if Genesis, Exodus, what was next after though I couldn't even know the books of the Bible. Learning. Realizing he has a goal for your life. Second thing. Recognize that we have not arrived yet. Here's Paul, probably the greatest apostle ever. Wrote most of the New Testament. Suffered for Christ in about every way you can imagine. And he's just saying, I haven't arrived yet. Verse 12, the first part of the verse. Not that I have already obtained all this or already been made perfect. That word perfect, you could even be made made mature. I haven't arrived yet. He's not arrived at the fulfilling of God's purposes in his life. You know, even facing what some of us are calling retirement, I haven't arrived. I can hardly wait to see what God's going to have us doing next. We're just going, I I tell people, God's redirecting us. I don't know what it'll look like. But I know he's not done with us because he's not done with any of us as long as we're still breathing and our heart's beating. He has a purpose for us, even when we don't see it. You know, Paul knew he was not what he should be. I can stand here and say, I know I'm not what I should be. But God will deal with that. Growth and maturity takes time. God wants us to be like him. That phrase, does it make anybody else nervous or just me? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be pure in our actions. He wants to be pure in our thoughts. He wants us to be pure in the words that come out of my mouth. He wants us to be pure like him. Boy, I can go back to step one and say, I haven't arrived yet. There's a lot of work to be done to be like him. And all of that that he wants for us, he still has one thing he wants more than that, and he wants us to love him more than anything else. Top priority, loving Jesus, loving the Lord. Paul recognized he hadn't arrived yet. Third point, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. 13b says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. This doesn't mean we forget what we were before Christ's time. It doesn't mean that that's just all erased. You know, we're not, he doesn't want us to make the same mistakes again. He doesn't want us to walk down the wrong paths again. He doesn't want us to forget all of those things necessarily. But what he wants us to forget and put in the past is all those things that the enemy is using as lies in our head to prevent us from walking out our destiny. Those lies that say, boy, I was hurt back then. Those people said these things about me that back then. I was called this back then. I tried this and it, I failed miserably. I was so humiliated. I'm never going to do that again. He's saying, don't look back at those things. 
Don't let the past affect the present and the future. I said, I, you know, look at Paul. Man, he could be sitting in that jail cell beating himself up saying, I'm getting punished because of all those Christians I threw in jail and killed. I'm getting punished because I was there when they stoned Stephen. I am so unworthy. He said, no. You and I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are under his blood. Our sins are forgiven. Don't look back at those things. They're going to hold you back. Those things that the enemy will use to paralyze you, to keep you from fulfilling. We can't fixate on those bad experiences from the past. A lot of times when I meet with people, I use the phrase strongholds all the time. A stronghold in my mind is simply a thought that has power, and more often than not, it's based on a lie. When we allow those strongholds to determine what we're going to be in the kingdom of God, the enemy's winning. I'm not good enough. They're not going to like me, much less love me. They're going to make fun of me. I'm going to fail. All of those lies, they're just strongholds, and they get established in our lives at a young age, and we don't even know it. And I believe I'm not Linda victim, victim, victimhood, but I believe a lot of us are victims of those things before we had any understanding of what was taking place. And Paul's saying, don't look back on those things. What does the word of God say about me, about you? He's never called me a loser once. I like that guy. He hasn't even called me a bonehead or moron once. I really like that guy. I was called a moron recently. Mike Fox's beautiful wife, Jessica, called me that. Rebuke her when you get home. We can't fixate on those things from our past. They'll, they'll paralyze us. But on the flip side of that, we can't rest in the past either. For some of you newer people to the church, when I say newer, like Jess said, those have been here eight, ten years, you're still newer in my mind. But you're probably a little tired of us talking about those good old days. Man, it was so good in those good old days. The Holy Spirit was moving in those good old days. Man, alive, all of a sudden you'd pray and the Holy Spirit would fall. It did, people were just waiting to get saved. Those good old days, those good old days are past. Paul's saying, don't rest in what God has done in the past. Don't rest in what's been accomplished for the kingdom of God thus far. That's nothing. Look forward to what he's going to do next. What's he purposing in his heart to do in your life, my life, the life of a church? You know, it's, it's, is Brian here? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Best is yet to come. And we start fixating on the past, relaxing in the past and living in the, oh, it was so wonderful when I first got saved. I was so on fire for the Lord. Shame on you and me. You should be more on fire for the Lord, not less on fire for the Lord. I just got introduced to him and that was exciting and fun and emotional. Yes, we can get emotional Christians, but it's not supposed to then get thrown in the deep freeze. And it gets cool, cold, hard. And all of a sudden, where the heck did my joy go? Where's my peace? He didn't take it from us. We lost it. 
because we step back from that relationship and pursuing God, surrendering all. We can't rest in the past. The early days of victory were great, but the greatest thing about the early days of victory is God birthed the church. And as what he's done up to this point and what he's going to do beyond this are the greater things, the greater things. Realize you have a gift. No, you haven't arrived yet. Don't live in the past. And number four, be intentional about your growth. And this is where I could step on a whole bunch of toes, especially my own, but I'm going to do it anyway. God, liberty's good, Matt. Be intentional about your growth. 13B, what one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Straining towards what ahead, what is ahead, not just putting it in neutral and seeing how far we can coast. It's straining for what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm pressing on. I know I'm sitting in a Roman jail cell. I don't know what's going to happen to me next, but I'm going to press on. And that word that he uses there, the Bible uses there, is the same word that was used in verse 6 of chapter 3 after Paul is kind of saying, hey, if anybody can trust in works, yeah, check mine out. They're pretty darn good. And he says, with zeal, I persecuted the church. That's the same word that is translated press on here. That with the same zeal I was persecuting the church, I am now pressing on. Paul, he says, this one thing I do. That's called being very single-minded. Knowing there's a purpose, a plan, and I need to focus on it. I need to be determined. I, I need not go down any of those sidetracks, even though they're very appealing. And some of them are actually okay and they're good. But they're not going to take me to where God wants me to go. I can't go on. I need to press on to this one thing, being clear where he's headed. Sometimes we say things like, I just don't know what God wants for me now. Write this down in big letters in your notebooks if you're writing it down so you don't ever have to ask that question again. Are you ready? God wants to transform you into his image. (laughs) T-R-A-N. God wants to transform us. Into his image. That's what he wants to do. That's his purpose. That should be a focus in our lives. Is what's going on in my life, are the choices I'm making, leading towards that transformation into Christ-likeness? Am I becoming more pure in my thought life, my words, my actions? Is it happening? If not, well then, straining towards what is ahead. How much time and effort do we, do you, do I put into developing my relationship with Jesus? Compared to what other things we like to do. Can you imagine if you put in just 10% of the amount of time that you want to put it into the relationship building with Christ with all those other favorite things we like to do? And those favorite things aren't necessarily bad things. Don't get me wrong. Those things that we need to readjust could be some very, very good things. But why is our service to Christ sometimes done in such a haphazard way? 
I woke up early this morning. It's Sunday. I think I'll go to church. Well, that's nice. But what if you didn't wake up early this morning? I think I'll stay home. It's too much work anyway. I'd like to read the Bible. They keep telling me it's important, but gee, it seems so boring. I'm going to read this novel instead and that novel and this book. What things do we put our time into? Why do so many things always come before developing our relationship with Christ? My calendar can be really full. And if one of you calls me and says, Mike, can we meet in the next couple days? Guess what I'll do? I say, no, thank goodness, my calendar's full. I'll go, absolutely. What day works best for you? We make it work. Somebody calls me and says, Mike, you want to go golfing? I got a free green fees for us. Yep, let me make a couple of calls. I'll be there. Apologize to those of you that I canceled. But we will make room for what's a priority and important. Well, there's a church meeting. That's okay. They won't miss me. It's not about them missing you. It's about you pursuing God. Ah, there's an adult Bible class, but that thing starts at 9 o'clock. I don't have to be there till 10. Okay. You don't have to be here till 10. You don't even have to be here at 10. What do you want to do? What are you willing to surrender to build a relationship with the Lord? Man, these things have challenged me so much over the years. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking, I'm letting go of some of my pain. I'm putting it on you. What's this look like practically? Well, first of all, we need to make time in our schedule for God. We need to be intentional about making time in our schedule for God. And that can look like a lot of different things, but is he the priority? We need to find time to read the Bible. And if you ever hear me say those words, I can't find time to read the Bible, just come and take my TV and you'll say, Mike, there, you're free. It's easy to watch TV. Nobody can sift through an hour sermon. But a three-hour movie is awesome. I know. They're better-looking stars. We need to be intentional, planning times for prayer. Bob's teaching on prayer. They're going to be teaching on prayer in adult Bible class. Finding time for prayer. Making worship and service a priority on our calendars. Turning away from all the worldly pursuits. And again, a lot of these things are not bad things. Don't hear me say you can no longer enjoy anything in your life. I'm just saying, what's your top priority? Is it developing a relationship with the Lord or isn't it? If it is, it's going to come with a cost. You know, part of my introduction was going to be how dedicated and committed and hardworking athletes are that are going to go to the Olympics or professional athletes or even how much time and effort and dedication it takes for you to excel in the workplace wherever you're called to be working. That determination, it's the same type of thing. Here's a quote. I don't know who quoted it. I know coaches have used it to try to motivate their players. Press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence, 
Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. (laughs) Some of us uneducated ones go, amen. But persistence and determination are alone important. Now, that's a worldly mindset, right? A relationship with Christ is the most important. But in that should be that kind of determination and persistence. And the last point, point five, keep your eye on the goal. Don't lose sight of the goal. As I said, Paul's writing this sitting in a Roman prison cell. And he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The goal, the prize, is that heavenward call of God. Let me just say, it's salvation. I'm going to lay hold of that. Salvation. The prize is the call itself, the call to be receiving Christ, accepting him. Yes, there are other rewards. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of rewards for those who love the Lord and doing the work of the Lord, advancing the kingdom. But it's a call to salvation. He says, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. There's a scripture that says, work out your salvation. That doesn't mean it's good works that get you saved. It means I'm going to do all that I can to grab a hold of that call on my life. It's there. It's there. I don't want it to just sit there and only need it the day I die so it gets me into heaven. No, I'm going to grab hold of that thing and do all that God has called me to do or try to as best I can. Salvation. Paul has this singleness of focus that's just amazing to me. Amazing. As he's even there in jail, facing what could be execution. But he was motivated by that prize. I've been saved. There's a reward. I'm grabbing hold of all that I can for all that it's worth. Paul gave us these guidelines to help us focus on our spiritual growth, our growth in a relationship with Jesus. What is the things that you and I are focused on? What are they? What's our primary focus? And I said, whatever's on your list is probably, I hope it's a good thing. It could be. All kinds of stuff could be on that list. Paying the bills needs to be done. Could be on your list. Succeeding in my business calling and gaining influence. Happiness. Nothing necessarily wrong with any of that. Good stuff. Those temporary moments of joy. Happiness. I'm not sure. A lot of those are not good stuff. But we pursue those things that make us feel good for the moment. Happy for the moment. And more often than not, there's even a deeper letdown than where we started with those kinds of things. Being a great parent, is that your single focus? Being a great spouse, is that it? They're good things, but they shouldn't be our primary focus. The Lord comes first. I want to encourage us, set our sights higher. Set your sights higher. Press on for the prize. Seek to know the Lord Jesus better and more fully than you've ever known him before. 
Jesus tells us that when we seek first his kingdom, all the other stuff is added on to us. Anyway, there's such an amazing promise right there. Seek first the kingdom of God. For some of us, we're getting a little bit closer to the finish line. Don't coast. Don't coast. God's not through with us old folks yet. And one of my goals, I'm not sure how well I'm achieving it, was I want to finish strong. I don't want to come limping to the end of the finish line like the guy who never worked out and tried to run a marathon. I want to finish strong. If we're getting closer to the end of this race, don't coast. Some of you are just getting started in this race. Recently saved, beginning to grow in the Lord. Things are happening. Don't give up because it gets difficult. Because it is difficult at times. Don't give up. It's kind of like running that race and you're about ready to quit and all of a sudden you get that second wind. Well, our second wind's always present. He's called the Holy Spirit. Just don't give up because it's difficult. And some of you are in the middle of the race. Probably many of you here are in the middle of that race. Don't let down. Keep pushing. It can be exhausting at times. Focus on the goal. Do everything you can to finish well. Paul wanted to know Christ. Boy, that sounds so simple. I want to know Christ. That's what he wants for all of us, to know him better, to be real followers of Jesus. Don't give up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much again for your patience and long-suffering with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you gave to us to live and dwell in each one of us, to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our comforter, to convict us of those things that we need to rearrange in our lives. God, I pray that each one of us here would give you permission to do just that. Lord, I pray that the words of that song that we sang, that they would be from my heart, from each one of our hearts. Whatever it takes, Lord, we will lay it down. We will surrender it all for you. We know we've not arrived but we want to get closer. Continue that work of transforming each and every one of us. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to convict me of anything in my life that's interfering, that we can get it out of the way. I pray that would be all of our prayer, that we would truly, truly, truly desire to know you better than we've ever known you before. God, there is... It's an endless depth to the relationship that we can have with you. Let us never be satisfied wherever we're at in this race. Lord, I thank you that there's a call on each one of our lives. And I pray especially for those here this morning that don't know that they have a call. They don't see what it is. Lord, I pray you would just reveal it to them in a new way, a refreshing way. Maybe allow them to see it for the very first time. Maybe they're just exhausted and have forgotten or can't see it. Let them see it. Show them. 
so they can't miss. Knowing that call, becoming more and more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that we can take the gifts and the talents and all that you have blessed us with and march forward in advancing the kingdom. Pray that, Lord, for each and every one of us as individuals and for all of us corporately as a church, your family here at Victory, that you'd receive all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.